Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're moving through Galatians here, aren't we? We're getting closer and closer um, each week. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6. And let me just extend a word of gratitude continuing to Renee Pierce, who's filling in for Sharon right now. She recovers from surgery. And then also, thank you so much, Ronnie, for serving us today. And uh, we're so grateful uh, for you, your willingness to step in and um, um, do such a good job for us. So thank you. Nathan and his family are away this weekend, and they're at Disney World. And usually I make up some... Uh, thing that Nathan's doing that sounds really implausible, but this week I'll just say Nathan's at Disney World, and so um, uh, there he is having the time of his life. I'm, I'm sure. If you, if you have your Bibles open there to Galatians chapter five verses one through six, why don't you just stand with me out of reverence to the reading of the words of our God? Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way. That as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you who have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather for worship. And Lord, this morning we ask if you would, please open our hearts and minds to receive your word and be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The controversy was gripping. It was gripping the early church. All around churches that had Gentile converts, there were teachers who were coming to town and advocating that Gentile Christians were bound to keep the law of Moses, including the right of circumcision. Obviously, this is something similar to what's happening in Galatians. We see it elsewhere. In fact, even in Paul's home base of Antioch in Syria, some men came down from Judea at one point, and they said and taught, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. It's important to know for those of us who read Galatians and think, maybe Paul's pushing it a little much. Maybe all this talk about legalism is a little much. Here you see it. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Maybe you know the story from there. The people there in Antioch of Syria decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to figure out exactly what the apostles had to say about this. And in Acts 15, we learn that they get there, and what happens is come to be known as the Jerusalem Council. And in the midst of all this, the apostle Peter stands up, and Peter says essentially that 
that we cannot expect these Gentiles who have been saved by grace through faith. Peter says, you remember, God himself told me that the Gentiles would hear and receive the gospel in a vision. And Peter says, we cannot expect them to bear a yoke that we ourselves could not ever bear. Then James chimes in, and as you know, some of these people here in Galatia said they came from James, and even James chimes in and says there's no reason for us to to uh, require this of them. They're justified by faith and, and not uh, by the law. And so James agrees. And so Paul and Barnabas receive a letter that they're able to distribute from the apostles that essentially says we don't require strict adherence to the law to be faithful to Jesus. But then something interesting happens. Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch and they have a little bit of a, a tiff over the presence of John Mark on their upcoming journey. And so Paul and Barnabas split. They're no longer traveling together. And so Paul takes Silas, who had come with them back from the Jerusalem Council, and they set out on what we now call Paul's second missionary journey. And Paul traveled back through the different churches that he had already gone to to go strengthen the churches and continue to share the gospel. And one of those areas where Paul had gone was Galatia. And there in Galatia, Paul encountered a young man who had been saved. Presumably, his mother and grandmother were saved somewhere. Uh, Maybe they were led to Jesus by Paul himself, or maybe it was when the gospel spread after Paul's first missionary journeys. But nonetheless, there was a young man there who had been saved and who had a great reputation. Acts chapter 16, verse 3 tells us the circumstances. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, And he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now I want you to get this in your mind. I want you to consider this. Paul, presumably, well we know, had already taken the gospel to Galatia. Sometime after that, Paul heard about this controversy that was rocking the Galatian church. And he wrote to them, and he wrote to them the very words that we've read here today saying, if you accept circumcision, Christ, you are severed from Christ. And then, in Antioch, the same sort of controversy broke out, and Paul went all the way to Jerusalem, to this Jerusalem council, to settle the issue once and for all. And then he comes back, and he goes on a missionary journey, and when he gets to Galatia, the very place to which he had written, he encounters this young man, Timothy, whose mother was a Jew and whose father was a Greek. And so, according to Jewish law and custom, would have been considered a Jew. Nonetheless, those in this region would have known, since his father was a Gentile, more than likely he had not been circumcised. And what did Paul do? Before Timothy and he left on this journey, right there in Galatia, Paul had Timothy circumcised. Now, what's the difference, you might wonder? Why is it wrong for Titus to be and right for Timothy to be? Why would Paul make such a stand? Why would Paul use such harsh language here and then yet mere years later advocate in this way? One, one set of circumstances is born out of a desire to be justified before God through the law. 
That is, when Titus is being forced to be circumcised, that is, the Galatians, these heresies, the people in Antioch, they're being forced to be circumcised. These Gentiles. It was because they were being told that in order to be justified before God, you must do it through the law. But Paul is arguing here, and Paul is arguing in the Bible, that justification is by grace through faith. It's not based on keeping the law. And so, out of faith, Paul was willing then to have Timothy circumcised precisely because he wanted the gospel of grace to make it to all people, Jews included. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? The question here is not primarily about what we do. As Paul goes on to say, circumcision or uncircumcision really counts for nothing. When the Bible talks about freedom, it really means freedom. Right? That the physical act is not the point. The point is, what is the heart that leads to it? Is it a desire to be justified by works, by the flesh, by the law? Or is it a desire to take the gospel to others by grace through faith? This morning, what I hope to help you see is why and how you are justified before God. That is, each and every one of us knows at some level that our relationship with the Lord by nature is off. Something, let me, let me put it in Boaz terms for you, something ain't right with our relationship with the Lord. We have guilt and we wonder, who, how can we be loved? How can we be treasured by a holy God even though we're sinners? The doctrine of justification teaches this, that Jesus Christ became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That is, because we receive Jesus' perfect standard of righteousness by faith, because of what He did on the cross for us, we can now be totally legally justified before God. The question of justification is the question of how we are made righteous before God. And this morning, every one of us struggles and thinks just a little bit that I cannot be righteous before God unless I'm perfectly righteous in this life. Every time you sin, you struggle with justification just a little. Because you have a soft heart, a heart softened by the Holy Spirit, and you don't want to displease your Lord. And you know how holy God is and how seriously He takes sin. And so every time you sin, you have just a little bit of doubt, perhaps about whether or not God has really, truly accepted you. This morning, I want to show you three truths that are going to help you see, I believe, how justification gives you freedom. How this beautiful doctrine gives you freedom in your life. Here's the first point today. It's this. Justification frees us. It frees us to rely on grace. Justification frees us to rely on grace. Notice verses 1 through 3 here. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We're standing firm on grace. He goes on to say, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Do you see what justification does? 
Do you see when you start with a righteousness that's not your own? Do you see what it does? It frees you to rely on grace. When you recognize and realize that your righteous standing before God is not based on what you've done or who you are in yourself, but based on what Christ has done and who Christ is and what He's given to you, it transforms what you rely on. I love this first verse. For freedom, Christ has set us free. In other words, why would Jesus die on the cross? Why would He give us righteousness if it wasn't for freedom? Why would He set us free just to send us back to a yoke of slavery? Why would He set us free just to enslave us again? No, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, the Bible says. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, we're able to rely on grace precisely because we are justified by Jesus Christ. Do you see this? Do you see the beauty of this truth? You're not justified by the law. You're justified by grace through faith. And we are made righteous in the sight of God by Jesus and Jesus alone. I don't want you to try to go back to the law to try to heal and make your relationship with God right after you've sinned. I want you to rely fully on grace. Notice Paul goes on. He says that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now again, remember, it's, it's not simply about the physical act, right? Because here just very soon after this, Paul will have Timothy circumcised. What, so he's not saying that everyone ever who is circumcised can't go to heaven. Now, I, I don't mean to insult you or anything, but I want to make sure that's very clear. That's not the point. It's not simply about the physical act. What he's saying is, if you accept it for the reasons these false teachers are encouraging you to, in other words, if you feel like you need to add this to your salvation to be saved, that you believe that you need to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved, Paul says, essentially, you were never saved in the first place. Christ is of no advantage to you. I testify again, he goes on to say, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, what Paul's trying to help them see is that these false teachers are cherry-picking. They're cherry-picking. There are only some laws that they're encouraging them to keep in order to be saved. But Paul says, listen, if you're going to choose one, technically you've chosen them all. You can't pick and choose which parts of the law you need to be made righteous before God. Your righteousness is either in Christ or it's not. And you can't choose a few things and say, well, I'm only going to do this part of the law, and when I add this little part of the law to my salvation, that means I'm saved. But if I don't have this little part of the law, it means I'm not. Paul says, listen, you are either people of the gospel or you're people of the law. Which will you choose? You're obligated, he says, if you start to try to keep one part of the law, to keep the whole law. But do you see what justification does? Do you see what the cross of Jesus Christ does for us? It frees us not to rely on the law, not to rely on days and months and years and seasons, not to rely on making a good showing in the flesh, not to rely on keeping the law to be righteous before God, but to be reminded every single day, every time we sin, every single time we need Jesus, we are reminded that it's by grace and not by works that we have righteousness before God. Justification frees us to rely 
on grace. But second of all, justification frees us to receive righteousness. Justification frees us to receive righteousness. Do you see what Paul says in verses 4 and 5? You are severed. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope for the hope of righteousness. Trying to find righteousness somewhere besides Christ actually cuts us off from Christ, the Bible says. And frankly, to go to works is to cut ourselves off from grace. Do you see what Paul's exposing? Uh, Paul's exposing a tendency that each and every one of us have. And it's the tendency to want to develop a sort of hybrid faith. We want to develop a sort of hybrid faith. What we want to do sometimes is we want to come to Jesus and say, all right, I'm ready to get my fire insurance, okay? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get started here by grace. I, I, I need some grace to really get me going. Now, I'm not good enough really to be saved. I know that. That's what the preacher said. My, I, you know, my mama said it a few times. I didn't really, don't really believe her, but I guess she's probably right. I'm not perfect. And so we go to Jesus and say, all right, I'm ready to get my fire insurance. I'm ready to get this dose of grace I need. It's, it's sort of like, it's sort of like happened to me a, a, a few months ago. I came out of the grocery store and I got in the car and uh, pressed the little button and it wouldn't start. And I said, that's not how this works. So I pressed it again. It's not as satisfying as it used to be. You know, you used to really get to turn that key in frustration. You know what I mean? Like, I'm about to wear this thing out. And now I'm sitting here pressing this button over and over again. Nothing. Dead as a doornail. And so finally, I had to jump my car off. Battery was dead. Get a new battery. That's kind of how we feel sometimes. Listen, I'm a perfectly good car. I just need a little help getting the battery started here. I just need a little jump off of grace, you know? And, and you might even think, I probably don't even need a new battery. I bet I just left the lights on. You know, the lights of sin were on a little too long, and I, I'm down on righteousness, so I need Jesus just to kind of help charge me up a little bit. And so we go to Jesus, and we put our faith in Him and our trust in Him, and we get saved, and then we think, okay, now I've got my grace jump off, and the rest is up to me. You ever feel this way? I've felt this way for a long time in my life. I wrestled with this and struggled with this. Thinking basically, you get saved by grace through faith, and then the righteousness, the holiness, the walking with Jesus is all up to you. Maybe you feel that way sometimes, but hear what the Bible says. If you go to the law, okay? If you go to the law, if you try to be justified by your own righteousness, you are severed from Christ. That is, pursuing God by the law is not something that can be added to Jesus because it actually cuts us off from Jesus because Jesus is all grace all the time. He offers us perfect, pure, total grace. You see, if you are walking by the Spirit and you are walking through faith and you're growing closer to Jesus in that way, sometimes it can get frustrating. You've been frustrated? Who in here is as holy as they want to be? 
I guess in one sense we all are. <laughs> we become holier, right? But in another sense, none of us are as holy as we wish we were, right? And I guarantee you, everyone in here who's actively reading their Bible and walking with the Lord and pursuing the Lord has some sort of a sin that they wish they could get rid of in their life. You know, you know. I lately, every, every, every time I am with my spouse, I am short-tempered. And I wish I could get better at that. Or I've been really impatient with my kids. Or I've been impatient with strangers. Or I've been judging people. Maybe, maybe right now you're in a season of being dishonest. You're lying. You just find yourself lying and don't, don't even necessarily know why. You've got some sin you're wrestling with and struggling with. And you say, I'm not a legalist. I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to do this through the Spirit by faith. And I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to lean on His grace. And I'm going to beg Him to help me. It's not to say you don't do anything. I don't mean that at all. It means to say that you're trying to do this by grace through faith. You're, you're trying to grow closer to Jesus in this way. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't always happen as quickly as you want it to, does it? You, you, you're not always off with your sin as quickly as you want to be. And there's a temptation there. There's a temptation there to shortcut it. To start to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to live by the law and the law alone. I'm going to set up a grid or a system of punishment by which every time I lie, I'm going to punish myself in some way. And every time I don't lie, I'm going to reward myself in some way or whatever it is. But notice what the Bible says. Notice what Paul says in verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now think about this. Think about this. When you put your faith in Jesus, something is being said about you right now. Right? Something is being said about you right now. Something 2,000 years ago happened that impacted you. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He raised from the dead. And by faith, you are now united to Him through the Holy Spirit. And His righteousness has been given to you and objectively before God. Right? You are perfectly righteous. Oh, rejoice in that, believer. When God looks at you, He doesn't see the impatient, maybe lazy, lying, whatever it is you are. He doesn't look at you and see that. He looks at you and sees the perfect righteousness of His Son. You're clothed in Christ. You are justified before God. And yet, at the same time, right, there's a reality that each and every one of us is not as holy as we wish we were. We're not as holy as we could be. And our bodies and our hearts groan for Jesus to make the world as it should be. And we groan to be made perfect as He is perfect. And yet we're not there. And here the Bible says, by the Spirit we wait on perfect righteousness. Do You see what Paul's saying? Don't be tempted to take the shortcut of legalism because part of what God is doing in your life is making you patient through the Holy Spirit to wait on the perfect righteousness of Jesus. You see, we're walking with Christ by grace through faith and we are trusting that our justification, what is objectively true of us now, will be borne out in perfection. Perfect righteousness when we go to be with Jesus and perfect righteousness when we face God at the judgment. We believe and trust that a perfect righteousness is coming. Don't grow impatient. Don't grow, fr grow frustrated. Trust God by Spirit that perfect righteousness will be yours. Finally, 
Justification frees us to live by faith. Justification frees us to live by faith. My friends, we are addicted to what we can see. We have a hard time living by what we can't see. In fact, when you think about it, our whole society struggles with trust. Our whole society struggles with trust. Do, do you, is it easy for you to take somebody at their word these days? Now, sure, maybe somebody you know, as long as you don't know them too well. But somebody you know, you might take them at their word, right? I know them, I've done business with them, I've had dealings with them, but by and large, we tend not to take people at their word. We don't trust people. Even, even, even a news article we read or something we see or something that seems true, we don't really get to trust it the way we feel like we used to be able to trust it. Well, you see, faith is something we can't see. And I think this is why it's so tempting for us to get caught up in the law. I think this is why it's so easy for us to become legalists, because the law is something we can see. I can make a list of what I should and shouldn't do, and I can live by that and convince myself, like the Pharisees did, that that's all it takes to be righteous. Now, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you've tithed your mint and your dill and your cumin, and yet you've neglected the weightier things of the law. But remember what the Lord said, don't forget. He said, these things you ought to have done, but you ought to have done the weightier things as well. So it's not to say that it's unimportant to obey God. Don't don't mishear what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, though, we want to focus primarily on that which we can see. We want to focus primarily on external law keeping, and we can create systems and methods by which we sort of follow the law, but sort of don't, like the Pharisees did when the Bible says they ought to care for their parents in a certain way. The Bible called it Corbin, and they found a way around it, even though the Bible didn't say anything about it. If you give the money to the Lord, that frees you from that obligation. And Jesus chastised them for that as well. When all of our righteousness is about external conformity, when it's all about days and months and seasons and years, when it's all about whether or not you've been through certain rites and rituals, when it's all about whether or not you've experienced things in the flesh, we're still addicted to what we can see. By faith, takes us and points us to something by its very nature you cannot see. And that's the fact you are justified before God. You cannot see your righteousness right now. You cannot see with your eyes the pierced hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot see the scar from the wounded side out of which flowed both mercy and justice on the day of the cross. Do you see this? You can't see it. You can only see it by faith. And so in verse 6, notice what Paul says. Paul says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. That is, it's the righteousness that comes from faith that counts. And as you know, the law is summed up by our Lord himself in law, in love. Is that not right? The law of Christ is the law of love shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, 
and strength. This is what Paul's saying. What matters is faith bringing good works out, not good works that commend us before God. What matters is that you trust in what Christ has done, and that produces love for God and love for neighbor in your heart and your life. Not that you take this external conformity and make sure you've checked every box, and that's what makes you right before God. Faith giving birth to the work of love is what matters. No external conformity to a law can ever give birth to righteousness. Only faith can do that. Only trusting in the Lord. And perhaps that's the difference. Right? A group of false teachers come and say, Titus, this Gentile, ought to be circumcised or he won't be saved. And so Paul fights them vociferously. Paul tells those who think that adding a ritual to their faith will make them more holy or make them perfectly righteous before God. Paul fights to the death almost, right? He will do anything, tooth and nail, to make sure that the gospel is preserved. Oh, but doesn't Paul want his countrymen to be saved? Doesn't Paul love his neighbor as himself? Doesn't Timothy love his neighbor as himself? And don't they want to be able to preach the gospel of grace unhindered? Paul said he's even willing to be accursed, he says, if his countrymen would come to know Jesus. And so Paul decides, because of Love working through faith. Not because of external conformity to the law, but because of love working through faith. Paul believes God and believes and trusts that the best way to love those with whom he's going to share the gospel is to ask his new protege to go through the ritual of Moses in order that that stumbling block will be out of the way so that people can know the gospel of grace. You see the difference? You see neither circumcision or uncircumcision really count for anything. And so to not do it, to elevate grace matters, but to do it, to elevate grace matters. The same. The same. Because what really matters is faith working through love. Won't that be your focus in your life? Won't you commit your life to this? to trusting God and to trusting Jesus and to believing the gospel and in knowing that Jesus died for your sins and that because of that, through faith, you are perfectly righteous before Jesus. And once you trust and believe that and allow that faith to bring love into your life, love of God and love of neighbor. I believe that's what the gospel does. I believe that's what the gospel will do. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, what a joy it would be for us today. What a joy it would be for us today to introduce you to Jesus. Now listen, I believe right now, right where you are, it doesn't have to be during an invitation hymn. It doesn't have to be down here, down front. There's nothing special about any of those things. Right now, you can know Jesus. If you will turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. But if you'd like someone to talk to, if you'd like to come down front, this altar will be open for you 
Second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I've been so focused on external conformity to the law. I've been trying to have kind of a hybrid faith. I'm trying to add works. I just need to come and fling myself upon Christ. I'd love to pray with you, Pastor, or I just want to spend some moments in the altar. This altar is open for you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be. We're not a perfect church, but I promise you this. We'll show you and preach to you grace, the grace of the gospel of Jesus every chance we get. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I would love to invite you to come. Let's pray together.